1: Listen, guys, I got something special just for my listeners. If you follow me, you know I usually don't hawk products. I stick to the issues important to you and me, but I think I can't keep this to myself. You may want to check this out and get in on the ground floor before everyone else jumps on the bandwagon. Now, this is just for you, my listeners. I joined up with Team Earth Water. Earth Water is a company that is faithful based and patriotic earth water is an amazing water it will soon be the rage of the nation and is going worldwide it has over 70 antioxidants and minerals it's good trust me i already sleep better i dropped one of my prescriptions and i'm possibly looking to maybe drop another one soon so ask yourself do you want to make a few extra bucks on the side while getting healthier <laughs> who doesn't so if so check out the Earth Water link on my home page at Southern Sense. That's the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Whoa, all right, and we're back live here. You're listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes Stitcher Spreaker, half a dozen other areas. Ah uh, just go to the name of the show. Put it hyphen in the middle. Southern Dash dot com. I'm your hostess with the most just the radio chick. Annie. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh great. And what a way, what a time not to be able to speak. Anyway, we've got ourselves a great show. Unfortunately, Curtis, my co host, is not with us today. He's got a little bit of a family issue going on. Uh his mother is ill and uh Hopefully he'll be able to join us somewhere along the way. Want to welcome everyone that's listening to us up on Facebook, YouTube, up in our chat room. Hi to everyone out there. So if I'm a little discombobulated, hey, that's normal. That is just normal. All right, we got some ourselves some great guests. At the first half of the show, we have filmmakers Anita Untersee and Pastor Mike Collins. The re- movie is called Revelation. Let me make sure I get this correctly. Revelation, Dawn of Global Government. And um, it's going to be up on the Internet for free in just a short time. So you've got to listen and find out what this movie is all about. I've seen it. It will knock your socks off. Second half of the hour, uh, we have Dr. Michael Bussler. He's a professor out of Stockton University, but he also contributes to Newsmax, LiveZet, and Town Hall. Uh, he'll be joining us talking about what I call Trump Trumponomics. <laughs> I think it's going to be a new catchphrase. Hopefully, it'll start right here. All right. Uh, so we got a lot to do, a lot to talk about, a lot to see. Feel free. The phone lines will be open, uh, 917-889-3675. Uh, man, let me just get a little bit of a sip of water because without Curtis here, <laughs> I'm like a one arm paper hanger, <laughs> completely nuttier a fruitcake. Anyway, um, those that listen know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's show's dedication is going to go out to Army Specialist Alexander W. Misseldine. He was killed by an IED on October 1st of 2017 while serving during Operation Inherit Resolve in Iraq. And this is from the Military Times. And it reads, Army Specialist Alexander W. Misseldine died October 1, 2017, serving during Operation Inherent Resolve. He was 20 years old of Tyler, Texas, and he died in the Ninawa province in Iraq of injuries sustained when an improvised explosive device detonated near his convoy. He was assigned to the 710th Brigade Support Battalion, 3rd Brigade Combat Team, 10th Mountain Division, Light Infantry, out of Fort Polk, Louisiana. Nisseldine was a motor transport operator assigned to the 10th Mountain Division's 3rd Brigade Combat Team, out of Fort Polk. Nisseldine joined the Army in 2015. He deployed with his unit in support of Operation Inherent Resolve in September. He is a recipient of the Bronze Star. September was a busy month for Iraqi and coalition forces as the U.S.-led coalition continues to clear ISIS fighters from remaining areas still held by the terrorist group. Following the liberation of Tal Afar, Iraqi forces backed by U.S. air power launched a campaign to liberate the town Ah-haya-ja. Only 12 days of fighting. Much of the area has been liberated. However, ISIS fighters still dominate parts of Anbar province and the Euphrates River Valley. And this portion is from thetaskandpurpose.com. It reads, Missile Dined share posts on his Facebook page, Depicting his army life, including a photograph posted September 15th of 2017 that appeared to show a military encampment in Iraq. Even before he joined the army, after graduating from Robert E. Lee High School in 2015, Misseldine regularly posted images of American troops, among other posts showing him playing the baritone horn in the school's band. Family members and friends shared memories of the fallen soldier on social media website. Logan Brown, who identified himself as Misseldine's cousin in a public post, shared a photograph of Misseldine in uniform and wrote he was proud of the soldier. This is the face of an American hero, somebody who gave his all, Brown wrote. We're all proud of you, and I promise, as I write this with tears in my eyes, you'll know they will never be forgotten. And finally, from TylerPaper.com by Sarah A. Miller. As the sun came up over Robert E. Lee High School, senior Carl Hall stood solemnly in the school's courtyard holding a wooden flag case made by one of his classmates. He was joined by 150 students and faculty in the cold morning air as they gathered to honor the service and sacrifice of Army Specialist Alexander Misseldine, a 2015 Lee graduate who died in the line of duty. Jared Cockrum played taps on his trumpet as a detail the U.S. Army soldiers unfurled and folded a flag before Hall, who organized the short student-led memorial service. Hall then placed the flag case, on top of an Army Memorial wall at the bottom of the school's flagpole. Alex was a friend of mine, Cockworm said. I met him when I was a freshman. He was my section leader in band. I wanted to show my thanks for his service and his family. Sophomore Colby Leathers and senior Daniel English attended the early morning ceremony on the Lee campus that was also attended by Miss Missledine's mother, who hugged students when they approached her to offer condolences. My brother just graduated from the Navy, Leather said. It's important for me to honor someone else who sacrificed so much and died in the line of duty. English said he knew Alex for a short time and wanted to come out and show his respect. Being able to see his impact, I knew it was important to come out and show her respect, English said. Missile Dine was assigned to the 710th Brigade Support Battalion, 3rd Brigade Combat Team, Mountain Division's 3rd Brigade Combat Team at Fort Polk, Louisiana. He was on his first deployment with his unit and just weeks into his deployment when his convoy was attacked on October 1, 2017, and an improvised explosive device detonated. His awards and decorations include the Bronze Star, Purple Heart, Combat Action Badge, Global War on Terrorism Expeditionary Medal, the Iraq Campaign Medal with one Campaign Star, National Defense Service Medal, and the Army Service Ribbon. Today's show is dedicated to Nisseldine. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency responders, and also to our military, from the birth of this nation through today and into the future. We dedicate it with this song by Todd Allen Herndon. My Name is America. May God bless each and every one.
2: In the grip of oppression I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends I stand for My respect for humanity Now I'm challenged by tyrants
1: And I'm at a loss right now because I don't have a co-host with me. And I'm waiting for our guests to call in. We had everything all confirmed and everything last night. So hopefully they will be calling in rather shortly. And unfortunately, it sounds like I'm starting to lose my voice. Not good. Not good at all, folks. (coughs) Excuse me. So what I'm going to do is just take a quick little break. um, Just... Bear with me, uh, because I'm going to see if I can try to get our guest in the line. So for this moment, I'll give you a little bit of Ronald Reagan.
3: If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery... With its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Chop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow, who left his job in a small-town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the western front, he was killed, trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, i will sacrifice i will endure i will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone we must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, we will not surrender for it, now or ever. We are Americans. A few moments ago, I placed a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier, and as I stepped back and stood during the moment of silence that followed, I said a small prayer, and it occurred to me that each of my predecessors has had a similar moment and I wondered if our prayers weren't very much the same, if not identical we celebrate Veterans Day on the anniversary of the armistice that ended World War I the armistice that began on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month and I wonder in fact if all Americans' prayers aren't the same as those I mentioned a moment ago all we can ever do for our heroes is remember them and remember what they did and memories are transmitted through words we see these soldiers in our mind as old and wise we see them as something like the founding fathers grave and gray haired but most of them were boys when they died and they gave up two lives the one they were living and the one they would have lived When they died they gave up their chance to be husbands and fathers and grandfathers they gave up their chance to be revered old men they gave up everything for our country for us and all we can do is remember there's always someone who is remembering for us no matter what time of year it is or what time of day There are always people who come to this cemetery, leave a flag, or a flower, or a little rock on a headstone, and they stop and bow their heads and communicate what they wished to communicate. I think sometimes of General Matthew Ridgway, who the night before D-Day tossed sleepless on his cot and talked to the Lord and listened for the promise that God made to Joshua. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. We are surrounded today by the dead of our wars. We owe them a debt we can never repay. All we can do is remember them and what they did and why they had to be brave for us. All we can do is try to see that other young men never have to join them. Today as never before, we must pledge to remember the things that will continue the peace. Today, as never before, we must pray for God's help in broadening and deepening the peace we enjoy. Let us pray for freedom and justice and a more stable world, and let us make a compact today with the dead, a promise in the words for which General Ridgway listened, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee.
1: Listening live to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, Kinetic HiFi, The Fix FM, out of Charleston, South Carolina. Up in iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, Spreaker, Blueberry. Oh, heck with it! Just go to the name of the show. Put a hyphen in the middle. southern sensecom Of course, I'm your hostess with the Mostis, the radio chick, and with my noisy guest in the background. was welcome aboard, Anita Untersee. Uh She is the filmmaker of a fantastic film out there that is going to be online soon uh, that you can sign up to watch for free called Revelation Dawn of Global Government. Good afternoon, Anita. How are you today?
4: Hey, Annie. I'm great. How are you?
1: I am doing fine. Unfortunately, I don't have my co-host Curtis with me. He's had a family emergency. His mother's not doing too well, and uh, he's out of state at this moment. Hopefully, he'll call us in later on the show, so we'll have him to join us. but I hope um, Pastor Mark Collins will also join us soon, too. I know there's always confusion when you go from East Coast to Midwest to the West Coast. I always get people always getting the time zones uh, confused. So, no worry, <laughs> but we're glad to have you here. Oh,
4: thank you. Well, we think Texas is the center of the world. So, we thought it was central time, even though I know you're in, you're in Florida, aren't you?
1: No, I'm in South Carolina.
4: Oh, okay. Well, anyway, Chuck, Chuck well, will be I calling say, in momentarily also.
1: Oh, great, great, great. As I said, I may not have been born in the South, but I got here as soon as I could.
5: <laughs> it seems like
1: the <laughs> last – if you leave out Florida, it's the last bastion of sanity in the United States, I think.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's rough even here. I mean, it, it looks good on the outside, but we're fighting here as well. It's just never-ending.
1: Oh no, I know that. I know that. God bless you for that.
4: Listen, you um, have made a quartet of movies
1: uh, based around Revelation, and your website is revelationmovies.com. Um, what is the purpose of these movies?
4: Well, we became aware of the globalist agenda, and slowly, like everybody, I guess, and um and because we've been filmmakers our entire careers, we wanted to use our abilities to um, get the word out to as many people as possible. So um, that's, that's really, we, we took the general idea, the general overview of the globalist agenda, now called the Deep State, versus um, uh, national sovereignty, and um, came up with a. Different areas that it's being implemented across across the board. So, "Revelations: Dawn of Global Government" is the initial movie, and that's the movie that um, starring Charlie Daniels, uh, Lieutenant General William Boykin, um, Alex Jones, and uh, Mark Collins as George Washington. So, those are those are the main stars, and then there's some 40 Patriot um, experts weighing in on the different aspects of the global agenda
1: you know it's funny because i was when i was watching your movie i watched it a second time uh before putting my notes together and i'm looking at some of the people that are in the first movie uh, which you will be showing online free if people go to the website revelationmovies.com and sign up and starting august 24th through i think september 2nd i believe uh, that will be available for people to watch online. And uh, I, I was amazed at how many of the people you used in that film I've had as guests on the show. So we think yeah. along the same line. Now, I don't know if this is Chuck well, or uh, or Mark that's in on the line with this last two digits of the phone is 6-1. So
5: this <laughs> no, is, I believe, I'm your husband, him, correct? I can't
4: remember his number. Pardon? <laughs> What's That'll up, Chuck? Chuck. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's the director. Hi, Chuck.
1: Can you hear me? Yes, we got you on the line. Welcome aboard. This is fun because I didn't know that you were going to be joining us uh, because we are live up also on YouTube. So I have a picture of your wife and a display of the movie uh, uh, graphic. So I don't have you, so please forgive me. <laughs> but the husband always the the seat. <laughs>
6: I'm not, I'm not real. She's the uh, she's real entity. <laughs> so how are you? I you don't
4: know so. anyway?
1: <laughs> the film, the first one that people will be able to see if they go to the website and sign up. As a matter of fact, if people are watching, a lot of them watch the podcast later on. There's also a link in there if they listen in. They can click on the link and sign up uh, to watch the movie for free starting August 24th. But um, you, you look at different issues. You don't look at it as just one issue, but you show how all these issues tie in together. And um, one of the things is based upon, upon the threat of a global government. Why should we really worry about that? I mean, they did it in Star Trek. It it looked like it worked. <laughs>
4: yeah. Like uh, World Peace is going to work, too. Well, for one, yeah. for, for, I guess
6: the primary issue that concerns so many people, and certainly us, is the fact that we're Americans, and we have a sovereign nation, and we have the constitution, and generally speaking, we're, we're – Controlled and run by our own our own force, but uh, you know I, I personally have no interest in being uh, told what to do by international um, interests, especially globalists who are uh, basically just uh, you know they're they're to hold the world. And I'm not really interested in being controlled.
5: <laughs>
1: well, you know the idea of this started. Um, long ago in the 1900s in Europe and with the outbreak of World War One, you know they came up with the League of Nations and not a lot of people remember that there was something before the UN, a League of Nations and that failed miserably but now we have the UN so why should we be afraid of the UN aren't they supposed to be unifying us and bringing peace to the world
4: Well, Anita you take that
5: Okay. Yeah, go ahead.
4: Well, the which UN, <laughs> surprisingly enough, um, is, does, is not doing what they state that they're going to do, which I think really they they're trying to promote world peace and I don't know what else they're trying to promote, but um, it it has to do with things like a global chamber of commerce, which we already have, but and. Um, ultimately a one world government and there' they're the uh force to that we'll be doing it a one world government, a one world religion, a one world money. It all works very well with their the structure that's in place there. Well so,
7: um and
4: there there is a global court also where you can be tried not as a US citizen but as a global citizen and our and you, you have no rights there that we the rights that we're used to. And we think we have. You don't necessarily have those, depending on how you're uh, tri- uh, brought to trial. So it's it's really frightening the powers that are that are there. They're not necessarily being used in every case, but could be put into play. Chuck.
6: Yeah, we um, we also, of course, um, looked at it from a faith point of view and and in a uh, biblical worldview. Uh, in terms of prophecy, then everything that's happening is, is, um, has been prophesied long ago. And it doesn't mean that you can't forestall it, but it's basically, um, you know, ongoing as prophesied. And so for people that, that of faith, they, you know, they could look at this uh, film as a um, a reflection of what's happening from a faith perspective, but also for people who are not, it is—I mean, the title kind of tells it all. It is a revelation for so many people still that really have no idea about Agenda 21 or or the whole globalist effort. And uh, but obviously, people of faith uh, can relate it to prophecy. You
1: know, um, I had a conversation with one of our council members, county council members. And he sat down with myself and two other Tea Party leaders from another group, and he was trying to sell this idea of a sustainable neighborhood. And the moment the word sustainable came out of his mouth, oh, (laughs) this poor guy, we jumped so ugly on him that you have no idea. He walked (laughs) out of there with a whole new uh, vision of what should be going on. And thankfully, that sustainable neighborhood never was built. And ironically, um, Newt Gingrich, when he was Speaker of the House, supported, you know, Agenda 21. And yet, when I went and did an interview with him, one-on-one with him back in, I think it was 2012 when he was running for president, um, he had no idea what the truth was behind Agenda 21. And he sat down, the same two women, same two Tea Party leaders and myself sat down and patiently explained to him what the truth was behind Agenda 21. And he he turned around and looked at us and said, I had no idea. And here he was supporting but, a, you know, as a congressman and Speaker of the House, but he had no idea what the heck he was supporting. And that surprised me because he's a very intelligent man.
6: Well, you know, uh, you've heard the well, in, in L.A., we worked in L.A. for a long time in the film business, and the old saying there is, if a producer's mouth is moving, they're lying. So either those people in Congress uh, are are incredibly naive or they're lying. (laughs) Because, you know, uh, in the mid 90s, and and it's outlined in our film, explains the whole thing of how there was actually a vote that that virtually nearly passed uh, that would have put us uh, completely under uh, the Agenda 21 uh, concept, not that we aren't now, but in terms of uh, well, it's like in Hunger Games, the movie Hunger Games, where there were enclaves of people that were workers and the elite lived someplace else, you know, in a, in a wonderful environment, and everything else was no man's land. Well, that, that's what that Agenda 21 bill would have done. And Charlotte Israby, we have three new films, and Charlotte Israby uh, explains it in infinite detail, as do some of the other people, that uh, she was one of the, well, she was. Uh, really brought in by Nixon to help coat down the um, uh, education department. But she is uh, astounding. She wrote the book uh, "Dumbing Down of America," and that's essentially what we're dealing with. Because whoever you were talking about, it was the city council or whatever, these people are amazingly naive and really clueless. Because you know um, they just get lobbied by various entities and then they run with it. But but it's like Nancy Pelosi said, I guess we'll have to read the bill to find out what's in it. And most of these people really, um, you know, they go with influence rather than awareness.
1: You know, it was funny because here in the state of South Carolina, at one point, um, our legislator was trying to put through legislation that would have, you know, endorsed Agenda 21. And, oh, my goodness, we have a coalition here that's put together by a friend of mine, Joe Dugan, he united all the conservative groups here in South Carolina. He says, hey, listen, we have different ideas. We approach things differently, but we also can be united in specific causes. And when we need to take action, we can call on each other to help each other and take action. Well, the entire – all the conservative groups in the state of South Carolina descended upon the legislator with phone calls, faxes, emails, showing up in person, and we shut it down. So we can do this if we unite as a nation with our founding principles. We can start, shut it down, can't we? Well,
5: I think it's
6: well, – uh, I've, I've been reading a lot of lately about the Indian War period post-Civil uh, War well, even Creaso But uh, in fact I've often said that if the various Plains tribes could have communicated with each other, uh, you know, sort of gotten on the same page against a common foe, we might be speaking Comanche in Texas. Mm-hmm. They didn't. And it's the same principle of what you're talking about. And that's one reason we did the film, because uh, so called patriots who are aware of a lot of these issues, uh, the, some of these issues are, uh, might, they might ask, well, you know, we already knew that, but uh, a lot of people, believe it or not, have even admitted they didn't know various things that should. But the point is, um, you know, if if patriots can use these films as a package to, to all those people they know that roll their eyes when they try to describe Agenda 21 or some of the other uh, not marriage things um, that are covered. Then you know people that roll their eyes may not believe whoever it is a relative or someone uh, who is trying to explain it. But if someone else tells them, such as the people in our film, then they may sit down and think, well, I don't know, I better look into this. And that's the whole point is for, for patriots to become Paul Revere's to those people out there who won't admit it or
1: really had no idea. No, It's, it's funny because um, I'm finding that still they attempt to do this, the Agenda 21, because now the latest uh, scam is they're saying that if you live outside of a city, so if you're not in the city of Buford or Hilton Head or something like that, we're going to give you an extra tax because it takes more time for police and fire services to get to you for emergency <laughs> services. And yet, if you look at the statistics, those those of us that live in rural areas require less emergency services per household compared to per household in an urban area. Again, another way of just trying to pigeonhole you into an Agenda 21 situation. It's just amazing.
6: Well, I think too that the American spirit is still alive and well in in rural areas. uh, Maybe not what it was in the 19th century or earlier, but there's the sense of wanting to be sufficient, self-sufficient without <clears throat> without a lot of interference. And um, you know, uh, I, I don't know that it's true, but in, in this part of Texas, most places have adopted these those blue signs that have your address, and it emanates from the counties, which I feel probably, and from what I've read, emanates from uh, the agenda 21 concept Somewhere because essentially You know they, they say it's it's Always uh, dressed up In the idea that this is Good for you but uh, uh, Meaning for emergency and so on But it also pinpoints Exactly where you are And you know there's uh, You know it's It's just intrusive and so uh, We don't have one I threw it away I'm not interested I, If I had my tractor run over me, or my horse stomps on my head, I'll just I'll just crawl to the hospital. But <laughs> I, I'd much rather be independently su- sufficient, self-sufficient, than rely on anybody. And I think that if we could just maintain that original sense of Americana, we'd be a lot better off. Because it all comes down to the collective. That's what they push: the collective, the greater good for the greater number. Well you know what, I'm an independent. <laughs> my, my family is in this country, and so was Anita since the American Revolution. And, you know, uh, I, I'm just really not interested in being um, uh, collectivized or sewn into the, the global group. Um, I, I've been a lot of places in the world, and to be perfectly honest, I, I'm really not interested in being like them. And that's what they're trying to do, bring us down to that level. Exactly. And oh, I needed. think we may have our. I think
1: the caller that just came in on the onto the studio might be your friend, uh, Pastor Mark. Uh, excuse me, I'm losing my voice. Pastor Mark Collins. Is this Pastor Mark?
8: Yes, it is. Good afternoon. Hello, good can you hear
1: afternoon me? to you. <clears throat> yes, we got you. You're a little faint, but we can hear you.
2: <clears throat> Very good. Okay. Well, it's a right. blessing so, to be on. Uh,
1: It is our pleasure, too. Uh, Now, it looks like Anita just dropped off, Chuck. So if if you're near your wife, tell her to call back in. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) um, Oh, this is fun. This is fun. (laughs) I'm loving this. Anyway, uh, uh, Pastor Mark, you play uh, George Washington in the film, but you also had a huge hand in producing it. Um, Tell us about that.
8: Well, it is really a blessing. Uh, I don't know if Chuck told you the story about how we how we met. Uh, he was looking for a George Washington to play the part of crossing the Delaware, and he saw me on the Revolution series uh, on the History Channel. And so they went to contact me thinking I would be in New York City or some far off land, and uh, I was actually on the other side of San Antonio from then. And uh, it's been a match made in heaven ever since. Uh, we both have the same passion to see our nation turn back to those uh, roots of faith and freedom that have made our nation such a great nation. And uh, yes, it's been been very honored to be a part of this project with Chuck and Anita and so many wonderful people.
1: It is. It is an honor. We do have Anita back with us. So I know you tried to add a couple of things in, but you got cut off. So jump in. Well,
4: I'd rather listen to Mark and Chuck anyway.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it's the way the left, the progressives, the socialists, the communists are trying to push our country has me in a lot of ways frightened. But with the rise of Trump, and with the everyday American just waking up and saying, "Hey, listen, we got a problem here. Uh, maybe we should pay a little bit more attention." That is is very buoying to me. Uh, so, uh, Anita, why don't you speak to that? Did you think we we have a chance to turn this nation around?
4: Well, I'm I just think it's totally providential that President Trump got in. I mean, even his name, Trump, the trumpet. Um, it was. It was a thrilling night when, when like, he had won the election. It was way cool. But um, a lot of people have, I believe, kind of, you know, thought, oh, well, our problems are solved now. So we, we have to stay vigilant. And as uh, I think you know, the progressives and deep state are gearing up uh, for this next election, midterm, and uh, obviously the 2020 election. So it's critical now. I mean, the midterm is so critical. We have to spread the word as fast as possible uh, because eventually, you know, we won't have President Trump, um, and I, I feel like he's our last hope. I mean, I'm just, um, I'm, I'm just. I want to. I was trying to say afraid, but I'm not afraid. But I, I think that it is critical that we use this time that we have been given a reprieve to um, let the message get out.
1: Oh, well, it is. It's the films you have put together and it's a total of four and people can go to your website, which is revelation And if they sign up, They'll be notified starting August 24th when they can watch the first movie for free. And then you you know offer to sell the additional movies to spread the word, as you say, like Paul Revere, to spread the message out. And the films really do go in depth and comparing to what is happening today to Revelation. So, Pastor Mark, um, tell me what you think the most important point of that movie is, besides saying uh, – there's a crisis coming. What, what part of the movie do you think is the best part of it?
8: Well, if I could coin a thought from, from our first president, from George Washington, and he said these very amazing words. He said, the greatest undertaking that we can undertake is to teach our youth the science of government. And, you know, that is what is missing, uh, so, so important in our critical in our nation, is is we don't even look at government being a science. In other words, just like a scientific experiment, you can look at cause and effect. And we know exactly what happens when the cause of socialism or communism takes hold in a nation. Always. And they keep saying, Well, we just didn't quite do it right. If we would do it a little different, it'll work next time you know, on our on our six hundred attempt. And uh That's what is missing. And so that is the purpose of our film is to not only teach the youth but all Americans the science of government. And we've got to go back to those fundamental things and just open our eyes and see. It doesn't work when we don't uh, put in those fundamental things that keep our freedom safe and uh, follow our Constitution. Was it Jefferson that said uh, don't – don't don't allow men to ignore the Constitution because it's there to chain men down from mischief. And, boy, there's a lot of mischief going on. And uh, that's the purpose of our film is to unpack some of those things and get back to those fundamental principles that made us great.
1: Amen to that. Amen. Anita, do you want to add to it?
4: Um,
1: Did we lose an? Yes?
4: I think, Mark... No? I think, I think Mark had an excellent uh, response to that, better response than
6: that. Well, I don't have a better response, but I have a response, and it's not necessarily the um, um, relating to what he said. But to me, it's just the general concept of, you know, basically to resist. And what I mean by resist is resist... Uh, uh, Unelected oligarchs who would be uh, put themselves in a the position of controlling our lives from every facet of our lives, and which is what the new world order is, or the globalists. And uh, you know what? I'm not interested. I'm arrogantly independent, and I'm not going to listen to anybody except what it is that we used to think of as this country. Uh, as being American And we all know or have heard That you know it's been said that One or two generations Of education Training the young people Away from American tradition Or away from um, You know our founding Principles and they consider Themselves globalists and they wonder well what's this All about well we need to teach them Because um, I'm kind of a Friday night football Mom and apple pie uh A guy, and I believe in in the the traditional way that was America you know Christmas is good and and you know all the things that go along with what we, the way we grew up and it's not old-fashioned it's it's uh, traditionally correct and I, you know I'm just absolutely not going to listen to people from foreign countries telling me how to live my life. There are a lot of people, Um, um, you know, of our people that uh, fought and died for the right to be free. And if any of these people uh, think it's great being uh, in anarchy or under the power of despots, then let them move there. But uh, I'm settled, and I'm not moving. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've always always
1: preached that Education is the foundation we have to build upon in order to help our country go back to what the founding principles were. And it is education that was used against us to corrode the foundation, which is the Constitution. You know, you have recently in Florida, they passed the red flag laws in which now, uh, since they passed it in January, 450 warrants removing firearms from people that have committed no crimes was just had someone accuse them of having bad thoughts or something. So we are finding the foundation being corroded in the heartland of America with these laws. Uh, so it's so important that we understand what the Constitution says, what it says we can and cannot do. And this de- every time someone says this is a democracy, I scream and yell, no, it is a republic based upon democratic voting. You know, there's a reason why we have an electoral college, and even that is starting to be eroded. It is, it is a frightening time to say, as you said, Chuck, that things that we grew up with, the principles we knew in our heart and soul and moral values, have been eroded in just a handful of decades. Well,
6: well also, um, I, like I said, feel that it was providential that Trump, you know, has achieved what he has and that he done in the first place. But, in a way, so we are we are under a, uh, a wing of protection uh, with him. But either by, by any number of means, he may not be there, including living out uh, two, two terms, which, um, you know, we all pray he will. But uh, in, since he's in uh, the fanatics on the left, funded by the Soros of the world and all those with the globalist agenda, um, have actually ramped up more so than than even under Obama, which was the ultimate nightmare for this country. And you know, if um, if we're not careful, uh, you know, we're, we're much safer now with Trump, and we have a direction. The ship's kind of turning around, but uh, we might be even in more danger than if the arrogance of Obama had been allowed to continue, uh, because uh, because now they don't feel quite as secure they, the uh, opposition, as they did with him. And so they're they're sitting in dark rooms making plans.
1: Well, you know, uh, Pastor Mark, you
6: are a very unique individual,
1: and thank you uh, for joining us here today. Uh, when a shooting occurred in Texas, uh, we are finding ourselves. Our Christianity is under attack. Our constitutional rights of gun ownership, freedom of speech, freedom of religion is under attack. You were you were there right after the shooting. What do you tell uh, people when they're, they're caught between well, gun a gun killed my friend or family members, therefore guns must be bad? How do you counsel them? What do you, what do you say? It's a very hard thing to deal with.
8: You know, I was interviewed on CNN National News, and you know they ask, "Are you know we angry at the AR-15 or the Air Force?" and and uh, I said, "You know, it wasn't a gun that killed uh, all of those twenty-six beloved friends of ours. It was evil. Evil walked into that church that day, and evil is stopped with good. And it it played out so beautifully. And it, you don't want to, you don't hear them wanting to talk about what really happened in Sutherland Springs." when he was engaged by another good citizen with an AR-15, and the killing stopped. And the police were still minutes away. And so it, it takes a good guy with a gun to stop a bad guy with a gun. And I said, you know, you need to consider the number one cause of death worldwide for the last hundred years that's unnatural. Unnatural death is democide, of course, which is death by government. Literally millions Are being killed by their own government, and consistently they disarm their citizens before they kill them. And so it's one of our greatest protections, and our founding fathers understood that, is for uh, to be basically that pop off now for that tyrannical government was the right of the citizens to bear arms. And uh, we have lost sight of that. You know, I, I even heard there was some congressman that proposed putting forth a bill that, you know, if we got rid of the army, we wouldn't have any more enemies. And so that, that's the kind of thing that's taking over our country. And uh, it's scary that, uh, uh, you know, they, they're called snowflakes. And, and, and it's becoming that because there's such a disconnect uh, between the reality that, it, you know, there are evil people. And if good people just stand by and are, are disarmed, then they are, they're going to take over the world. And that's what we see happening in, in many corners of the world.
1: Oh, man, the three of you put together such a fantastic uh, film series and I'm telling everyone they have to go to your website revelationmovies.com The link is on the show page Just click on it and sign up your email and you guys are going to notify them starting August 24th that the free the movie will be free online the first of the four series uh, it, it is a huge eye-opener You have people like Jerome Corsi in there uh, I can't remember half the people um, that were in there uh, Matter of fact uh, I'm going to butcher his name But the former Muslim terrorist Jihadist that's now a Baptist, Baptist minister uh, He had been a guest on our show at one point uh, it, was, it, it is very, very informative And the way you cut everything together It tells you that we are in a time of trouble but we do have a chance. We do have a chance to turn this around. If not turn around, at least slow it down and bring the founding principles back to our society. You know, we see left and right where it's OK if you're one of these uh, progressives on the left to go out and mouth off whatever you want. Uh, Make threats against the president It's fine, no one touches you Or have your email server being hacked And expose secrets to the world That's okay, we're not going to prosecute you But heaven forbid If you go out in public wearing a Make America Great Again t-shirt or hat Then you're fair game To get beat up I actually listened to a left commentator Say, well, it was just one or two People that were beat up Even though it's not good to be beat up It's just one or two people it's not one or two people anymore, is it, Anita?
4: No, it's, it's not. And I, I don't want to draw that sort of hate on myself. And I, I purely do not understand it because um, if, if people would look at what's going on with the economy and jobs and um, that that sort of thing, they would be happy instead of complaining about it. But um, it's it's an upside-down world, so... Very hard to
6: understand. Well, you know, it uh, is. Speaking of that, when um, when when the British um, surrendered to Washington, uh, the the British general had his pipe and drum play a very popular tune at that time, uh, which, depending on the context, would have been good for them. But in this case, was not. And the name of the tune was "The World Upside Down," and. That's the world we live in. And as far as having a shot, I think there's always a shot. And it's about um, the first time I met Alex Jones, I I was a little naive, and I thought, well, Alex, tell me, okay, we're here uh, alone, and you can lay it on me. What's the answer? He leaned across his desk, and he said education. And that's the point. If if people um, become educated I can't believe normal human beings would want to be uh, controlled and and uh, and have their families controlled and be by by the dark side. And so, if they're educated enough, we might, you know, take the snowflake uh, contest and put it around.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I hope, I've said that many times. We've got to start with education and start. Right now, government says kids attend preschool. It used to be kindergarten was uh, uh, revolutionary. But the younger they get our children, the easier it is for them to indoctrinate them and the harder to later on re-educate them to what the truth is. And, uh I, I think this is where we have to start looking at it. Start with the preschool. Say, hey, listen, do you really have to send your kid to preschool? Can you keep the kid at home? Can you educate the kid at home? Can you use alternative education like charter schools or traditional Christian uh, schools and, and get them out of the public school system indoctrination? I think that's the important part. Uh, am I looking at this right or wrong, Pastor Mark? Well, the
6: other thing no. is that people, people are going to have to stand up and and deal with their own personal uh, moral fortitude when you have trans uh, people coming in and teaching kindergarten or even preschool, I've read, uh, about that whole lifestyle. There's something desperately sick about our school system uh, if teachers don't just walk out uh, when that happens or if if nobody raises uh, the alarm. I mean, people are just going to have to stand up and be counted. And, you know, so many people in this country have been lulled into a malaise about, you know, let somebody else figure it out. But the push comes to shove is, is on the horizon. And like in the film, The Reenactment of the Alamo, where Travis said it's time for your generation to draw a line in the sand, as we did, uh, There, you know, whatever that means. It means uh, take your kid out of school or You know, basically just roll it to your sleeve and do something.
1: Well, lady and gentlemen, I want to thank you for joining us. Your movie, which is Revelation, um, Dawn of Global Government. they have to go to your website, revelationmovies.com. Sign up. They can watch the first one for free starting August 24th uh, through September 2nd. And they can look at buying the whole package uh, and uh, sharing it having your family and friends sit down with you and watch the DVDs. it's about five hours worth of video but is highly educative so I want to thank you Anita and Chuck for joining us and Pastor mark and God bless you for the hard work you're doing
8: God bless thank, thank, you. thank you so
4: much. much We appreciate you having us Andy. all
1: right's been my pleasure and uh, enjoy the week and be safe out there all right uh Chuck and Anita undersea uh and also pastor mike uh Mark Collins. I'll get the name right, and I want to welcome aboard my co-host who sh- was able to show up, Curtis. Welcome back.
7: Yes, is Curtis always great?
1: Un-mik- can
7: you. Can <laughs> you hear me now? <laughs>
1: All right, we got you now. We got you now. All right. Uh, we have now with us our next guest, Dr. Mike Bustler. Uh, he's a contributor to Newsmax, Life and and uh, oh God. Uh, I forget what the last one is, uh, Dr. Michael. What was the third one? Town Hall. I had a bit of a brain fart. Town Hall. Thank you very Town much. Hall. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Talking about education, I think I need a little myself here right now. <laughs> <laughs> but you're a, um, a professor of economics over at Stockton University.
9: In New Jersey, yeah. Oh,
1: boy. Have we got a lot to talk to you. You know,
5: mm.
1: I was watching Trump's rally last night, and the crowd yeah. was pumped up. Trump, yes, Trumponomics, as I call it, economics is working. Isn't
9: yes, it? it certainly is. Yep, it's working uh, even better than the most um, optimistic of his supporters uh, uh, thought. You know, um, when Trump got into office... Um, he realized that the the top priority for uh, government economic policy should be to stimulate economic That was a particular problem uh, because under the last administration, uh, they never set economic growth as a priority. In fact, their top priorities were to cure perceived social injustices, like it's an injustice that somebody makes a lot of money and somebody else makes a little bit of money. It's an injustice that uh, everybody doesn't have uh, health insurance. It's an injustice that there's not enough food stamps to go around. It's injustice that there's not enough welfare payments uh, to go around. So they wanted to cure those problems, and each time they put a cure on them, it put a burden on the economy and made economic growth that much more difficult. In fact, um, President Obama is the only president in history to serve a term in office without having at least one year where economic growth annually was at least 3%. In fact, it hasn't been the GDP, how we measure growth, hasn't been at least 3% since 2005, and it hasn't been 4% for the entire year, annual growth, since the year 2000. Um, Trump realized that that's causing all kinds of uh, problems. Um, if the population is growing at uh, three-quarters of a percent a year and the economy was only growing at 2 percent, which Obama said was the new normal, there really is not a lot of real growth for um, the population. So what Trump did, he said, I'm going to get the economy growing. People say, He said, I'll get it over 3 percent. He said, people said, well, I don't think you will. He said, and he knew he'd be able to get it over 4 percent. And frankly, you may see a quarter of two next year where it's over 5% uh, growth. So he got into office and he said, um, look, what's the uh, uh, fastest thing I can do? Well, um, President Obama put a lot of burdensome and counterproductive regulations um, on the business community. uh, And as a result of that, uh, it's slow growth. Well, President Trump said, I can just, through executive order, reverse all of those unproductive regulations, which he did. And since the second quarter of last year, right after he got into office, the economy has been growing at over a 3% rate. Then he said, uh, look, I really need the economy to grow faster than that, and I know I'm going to have to uh, do that um, by looking back in history and see how other presidents have done it. So he saw uh, what Kennedy and Johnson did in 1963, 64. Uh, he saw what President Reagan did in 1981, 82, and he even looked at what uh, President Clinton did in 96, 97. In each case, they lowered uh, the federal income tax, and it proved to have uh, to accelerate uh, growth. Um, he decided to model his tax cut um, by looking at what President Reagan had done. So President Reagan had taken off burdensome regulations, gave a uh, tax cut to every taxpayer, middle class and upper class. So Trump pretty much copied what President Reagan had done. After Reagan did that in 81, it went into effect in 82. In 1984, the economy grew at a 7.5% annual rate. Uh, So once Trump saw that, he convinced Congress last fall to uh, enact new tax legislation, reducing tax rates uh, for everyone. He also knew that since we have a capital-intensive economy, the tax cut should also create new capital for business to invest. So not only did he lower everybody's um, personal income tax rate, he dropped the corporate tax rate from an average roughly of 35 percent down to... 21 percent. Well, that went into effect in January. It takes a couple of months for uh, things to get moving. By the second quarter of this year, economic growth had increased to 4.1 percent. My forecast is the third quarter, we're probably going to see a number in the 4.5 percent range. And um, I think the economic growth will continue at that level. Now, there'll be ups and downs. There's a bunch of uh, headwinds we're going to have to deal with too, but um, I think for the next three or four years I, you're looking at uh, economic growth at a four uh, percent or or better range.
1: Yeah, I remember '84. I was able to switch jobs. For me, at that point, you know, it was so easy to get a job back then.
8: Absolutely. Today,
1: now under Trump, under Trump, yes, it is. But had you asked me three okay. years ago, no way. No way. Right. But, you know, People say, hey, listen, when you cut taxes, you cut revenue to government. But the exact opposite actually happens. The more you exactly cut right. taxes, the more production, the more of, of the purchasing power, therefore taxes will actually increase. Right?
9: Yeah. yeah. In the fact, revenue, um,
1: not the tax itself, yeah. revenue.
9: Yeah. Arthur Laffer is the one that uh, originally developed this theory, the University of Southern California um, economist. Um, look, if you're taxing at very low rates, uh, and you, if you're taxing at 2% and you're raised to 4%, you're likely to raise more revenue. But if your tax rate is very high, um, you can actually lower the rate and have revenue go up. What Bill Clinton did, for instance, the capital gains tax in 1996 was 28%. He lowered it in 1997 from 28% down to 20% tax revenue went up because the 28% was a, a, a certain level of um, activity. Dropping it to 20%, the activity doubled. So you now are taking 20% of a much larger number, and you end up bringing in more money at the lower rate than at the uh, at the higher rate. Uh, and that's exactly what happened when Clinton did it. And um, President Trump, as you may know, recently started talking about Uh, making some changes to the capital gains uh, tax law um, by indexing the purchase price to inflation. um, Essentially, what uh, is lower the tax rate um, for uh, long-term capital gains, and that, too, would spur economic growth and probably have revenue increase. So, yes, you're correct.
1: Well, you wrote an interesting article, and I read the title, and I started laughing, going, no, no, you really did not write this. It can't possibly be true. But the more I read it, the more I said, it makes perfect sense. The article I'm talking about is called Today's Anger Comes from Nearly Two Decades of Economic Stagnation. Now, you know, I thought it was probably mental illness, or just progressives will always be progressives. (laughs) But the way you broke it down... Made perfect sense. Why is today's anger from the two decades of obama economics?
9: Yeah, uh, so, so um, w- when there is prosperity in America, it means that there's opportunity for virtually everyone. Now, the people who are most prepared are going to get the best opportunities, but as long as the economy is growing, there's opportunity for, for people, so, which means um, people can go out and get a job. They can support themselves. Um, Lower income people don't have to worry about the government handouts to get by. They feel greater self esteem, um, and they're in uh, feeling better about themselves. Now, when you have lackluster economic growth, as we as we've had really since the year 2000, since 2005, it's been below three percent on an annual basis, below four percent since uh, 2000. So when you have slow economic growth, it means um, people uh, get jobs, but sometimes or many times they end up taking jobs for which they're overqualified. For instance, the last 10 years or so, um, many of my students and many college graduates from other schools struggle to find one good job offer. Many of them have had to accept jobs for which they're overqualified. Uh, We call that underemployment. Um, because they took jobs for which they were um, overqualified, and I sort of get a little angry about that. I just spent all this money on uh, college, got all this education, I'm getting a job I could have gotten without a college education. So there's a little bit of anger there. Um, And then since they're taking the jobs that you don't need a college education uh, to get, the people without college educations don't have any opportunities at, at all. So what happened was, Um, they dropped out of the labor market. They became what are called discouraged workers. They dropped out of the labor market. Uh, They needed more food stamps. They needed more welfare to get by, and that's why those numbers were so high under the Obama administration. And that, too, breeds anger. You know, people really don't want handouts. (laughs) People want opportunities to earn themselves and feel better about themselves. So here you have the... um, less than fully educated people feeling angry about not getting jobs. Then you have the uh, college graduates, many of them accepting jobs for which they didn't need a college degree for. So they're getting angry. And I think um, because there's no growth and everybody's kind of looking for few opportunities, uh, you know, you start to get a little competitive and a little cutthroat, even against uh, some of your fellow workers. I think much of that anger is due to, to, the lack of economic growth. On the other hand, um, once we start to feel economic prosperity, and I think Americans forgot what economic prosperity feels like, but once we keep up this 4% growth rate or better, there's going to be all the underemployed college graduates are going to find opportunities to take advantage of their college degree that opens up uh, job opportunities for people with less than a college degree. Now we're starting starting to see hundreds of thousands of these discouraged workers come back into the workforce because there's opportunity for them. Well, now the college uh, graduates are going to feel better. My degree is finally paying off for me. I have a better lifestyle. My income is, is higher. Um, there's opportunities for me. Um, the ones with less than a college degree, say, you know, instead of uh, depending on food stamps and welfare and government handouts for everything, I now am in a position where I can support myself and I have the dignity uh, to be able to uh, go out and buy things using using my own money. They're going to feel better about themselves and less angry. Everybody starts to feel better about themselves and less angry. So, yes, I do think a lot of the anger has been building up because people are, in the land of opportunity, and there's no opportunity.
1: You know, it's funny because when I was reading your article, I I put some notations on there saying money is the number one reason for divorce in America. Uh, It's also a huge, huge factor in suicide rate, crime, depression, homelessness. So the the opportunities are out there with this increased economy growth we have. These things will also come down in numbers, which would then, if you decrease divorce, you decrease the number of single-parent households, therefore also
5: yeah.
1: increasing the child's becoming more, more well-developed, uh, more socially uh, adaptable. You know, there's so yeah. many differences that you can Once the money starts flowing out there. But what always angered me under the previous administration, and Ted Cruz said this, as well as Marco Rubio, increasing H-1B-1 visas. If we have unemployed Americans, why are we importing employees? It made no sense to me. Now, thankfully, right. it looks like uh, Obama, uh, not Obama, Trump is starting to lower oh. these numbers, being acceptable. Will this also lead to additional growth if we restrict the H-1B-1 visas now? Uh,
9: yes. Um, the, the purpose of those visas was to uh, bring in workers to fill areas where we had shortages. Um, there w- it was not meant to just have uh, workers coming in to take jobs that um, Americans could Could take, but the program became very liberal, letting in um, a lot of immigrants. And look, nobody is against immigration. My parents were immigrants. This country was founded on immigrants, but we did it legally. We set up, Congress uh, set up a uh, policy on immigration who could come in legally. Um, So um, immigration is a good thing, but you can't just flood. The country with um, illegal immigrants. Um, now, to some extent, there, there are some jobs that Americans uh, just, for whatever reason, don't want to do. I live in a resort community, um, and there are a lot of jobs like dishwashing and those kind of things, cleaning up, um, that Americans just think they are too good to do. <laughs> so um, who ends up filling those jobs are some of the uh, immigrants that have come in here some of them legally and, and some not. So uh, they have taken some jobs, but Americans have to realize that uh, if you don't really have much of a skill, if you never really learned to do anything, and I'm not judging anybody, I'm just giving facts here. So if you've never learned to do anything and you can't make a contribution to the economy, you're not going to get paid a whole lot of money. I mean, you're paid according to the value of your contribution. That's how the system works. So um, the reason people go to college is to be able to provide a greater contribution. The reason people learn a skill, um, you know, college is not for everybody, but some people uh, um, learn, learn skills and we're going to need people in the building trades and, you know, plumbers, electricians, those uh, skilled labor we're always going to uh, need. So um, if people learned a, a skill and they're able to make a contribution, you know, then you can get paid more. But to go into the workforce and, you know, I've heard people say, well, I don't really know much and I can't do anything, but I still want to get paid $10 an hour. Well, well an employer says, you know, if you don't know too much, with all due respect, and you can't do too much, how do I justify uh, paying you that that kind of uh, uh, wage? Um, so um, the immigrants, the immigration uh, that has occurred taking some jobs, but they are filling jobs that Typically, Americans for whatever reason just don't want to do. No, uh, Curtis, I'm going to gonna get to you in a second. But I, I just right.
1: noticed that you know, my local McDonald's they had a protest out in front of it a number of years back, demanding yeah. you know, $15 yeah. an hour minimum wage yeah. Yeah. Uh, starting at right. McDonald's. And within a month and a half, the McDonald's closed down for quote renovations. And when it reopened, it had these kiosks. So people can go in and order off a kiosk, which costs only $10,000 a year to maintain, compared to a minimum wage employee at $15 an hour. So he was able to reduce his employees, reduce his overall costs, and there goes the job. So when they demand minimum wage, which I don't believe Uh in the minimum wage, you should be paid what you are valued at, an honest wage for an honest hour of work, which is my principle but what demanding the minimum wage has skewed the entire market and I'm sorry Chris go ahead I kept I cut you off twice so I apologize <laughs> go
7: ahead oh no problem i recently looked at a poll that um said that um 59% of the economists that participated in that poll approved of what you know the way Trump was handling the economy uh Trump seems to be Basically, the only one singing his praises. <laughs> what what do we have to do to get these politicians, you know, to talk about, you know, the great things that are going on um, under Donald Trump's uh, administration?
9: Yeah, you know that's that's a difficult thing. Um, the Democrats um, are not interested in helping Donald Trump at all. This massive tax cut that is really stimulating economic growth. Recall, not one Democrat voted for it. Um, In fact, Trump yesterday, uh, while he was at his rally, uh, he said, look, the Democrats are just going to oppose everything I do. So I guess what I have to do if I want to get the wall built, tell the Democrats, I refuse to build a wall no matter what. And if I do that, they'll oppose it and then they'll want to build the wall. So Trump's point was that the Democrats are just fighting him every step of the way. The mainstream media um, every study I've seen says at least 90% of the coverage of uh, President Trump is negative. Uh, so it's very difficult to get a positive message out. You have to listen to President Trump at his rallies to realize, hey, you know, he really is doing a lot of good good things. There are some politicians in his party that uh, follow what he says, and it seems everyone who's uh, up for re-election and uh, welcomes President Trump's support Uh, Tends to do fairly fairly well But Curtis brings up an excellent point Um, The administration has got to get more effective In communicating the positive message About how good things are And how good things are going to be in the future
7: Yeah, you're right You can't depend on the left-wing media Because even when the the latest um, economic growth figures Came out at 4.1 They reported it but they added caveat. but it's not expected to, you know, last. And, you know, it's, That's right. it's, it's like, it's like just this
8: guy
9: blip. would
7: never do anything right. But if it was Obama, it would be the greatest thing since um, apple pie or, or ice cream.
9: Yeah. You know, I, I remember uh, during the 80s, the uh, press was very tough on Reagan. Now, they weren't quite this bad. Uh, I, I don't recall in history ever seeing anything uh, as bad as this. But they were uh, uh, very negative to, to Reagan when he first got into office. They said he's the first president to be over 70 years old. You know, he's not going to be very effective because he's so tired. He has to take a nap from three to five every afternoon. Um, and they just kept riding him no matter what. But gradually, as things got better and the economy improved and uh, he took a peace through strength position, um, with regard to foreign policy, and that turned out to be very uh, effective, um, and people uh, became less angry too because times were so so good. Um, Annie mentioned in '74 and '84 there was a, a good job opportunity for her because of growth. There were uh, job opportunities for a lot of people, and um, during the State of the Union speech in 1984. Uh, President Reagan gave his famous what's called go for it speech. He said, look, um, things were bad. I fixed them. The interest rates are down. Inflation is down. The economy is growing. He said, if you ever wanted to take a chance in doing anything, he said, go for it. Go for it. I've set the economy up so that you have the greatest probability of success. So go for it. And he instilled in Americans, they started saying, you know, I've always thought about doing this. Maybe the president's right. Maybe this is the time I I give this a a try. And there was a new spirit, a new morning in America, Reagan Reagan called it. Eventually, not nearly as quickly as I would have liked to see it, but eventually the press started to come around a little bit. Um, they, They still didn't give him the kind of support he should have gotten, which would have made him even more successful. Uh, but they did start to come around. I, I have a feeling um, that in the next couple of years, as things get better and President Trump has taken care of North Korea, probably taken care of Iran, he'll probably have Russia in the right spot, he'll probably have taken care of NATO, the economy will be uh, growing uh, fast. He'll start to tackle next the deficit and government spending problem, and then he'll take a look at some of these social issues. Um, and even though he's a conservative Republican, uh, he's much more compassionate. Um, and I think the Democrats should try to work with him because he's a very compassionate person. He's willing to make some deals that um, really the, the mainstream Republicans might be a little reluctant to make. But I think in a few years when all of those things happen, I think his approval rating, which has started to inch up now, will uh, go up higher. And I think people will have a better uh, view of the president. Um, and I think even the media may start, I don't know if I'm dreaming or not, but maybe the media may start to uh, cover around a little bit on Trump too.
1: Well, you know, it's it's funny because I'm looking at all the things he's doing. And when he signed that ominous yeah. bill, I'm like, why did you sign it? But he made a threat when he signed it. He said, better not come back with another one like this again, basically is what he Never said. Never
9: again, he but said. But if you look at Congress. Never again.
1: Look at what Congress is doing now. Instead of having one huge ominous bill, they're breaking it down into little pieces and passing it bit by bit. So he's able to actually start to take a chunk of that spending problem out on Congress right now. So anything that's going to come up to his desk, he's going to toss back to them and say, listen, no good. I'm not signing this. Come up with another one. And he's starting to go after the deficit and the spending. It is amazing. But people aren't paying attention. Because Congress is pretending right. everything is normal. It's just as, as usual. But that's not the truth. He is starting to make a change, and it's a good thing to see. Um, you had mentioned uh, student loans, and I had to get a, a kick out of yeah. that because I came across an article. Uh, and I said, I've got to pair this with you um, because these kids are coming out of college on average. I think it's something like $34,000 in debt with yep. college student yep. loans. And when I went to college, I got my degree in business administration. I worked two jobs. I said, I'm not taking that alone. <laughs> I didn't I, I didn't uh, qualify for the Pell Grant because my older brother used that yeah. thing, so I couldn't use it. I couldn't get any scholarships or anything. So I worked literally two jobs. I had a pillow in my car and an alarm clock, and it was a 1965 <laughs> Chevy Bel Air. That I was a uh, Biscayne I was driving. <laughs> and I pull up. From one job to the other, take out the alarm clock, the pillow, and the blanket, and go to sleep until the next job. Uh, But kids today don't have that sort of drive. No. It's free money, they look at it. The government gives you this loan that you're supposed to repay, but now they're demanding government to take back that. Say, hey, listen, you know, we didn't know what we're getting into. We're over our heads. We want to raise a family and buy a house, but I really don't want to pay this loan back anymore. So now there's a new game show out there uh, It's called Paid Off.
5: (laughs) Did you see that?
1: I cracked up. I did see that. Our society is a disposable society. You know, your lottery tickets, your game shows, uh, American Idol, all the get-rich-quick schemes have come out of the woodwork. You know, we thought back in the 1900s, you know, the scams, the guy that sold, you know, the – the elixir off the back of a a, a covered wagon was, you know, a scam artist, but this has come to a whole new level here.
9: Yeah. 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 You know, there is a, there is a big uh, problem with this, with student loans. Um, And a lot of people are at fault here and you're right. um, When students take out the loans, they don't think about paying it back. They just look at it as free money. Hey, I, I, I got into the uh, university I wanted to go to, um, how am I going to pay for it? Well, I'll just borrow whatever, whatever I need. I'll worry about it um, later. Um, and it is a big problem. As you say, the, the average student now uh, graduates with over $30,000 a year in, um, in debt. Um, part of the problem, too, is that tuitions uh, are going way up. Um, and the students are really um, not adverse to uh, any tuition hikes mostly because if it goes up, it doesn't hurt them right away because they just borrow a little more money to uh, to pay for it. But, uh, look, I, I was the same way. I, I went to a university. It was a co-op university. Five years rather than four, you work six months and go to school six months in the, the middle three uh, years in a, a co-op program. That was the only way I could afford to go through school. And when I wasn't on the co-op, um, my uncle had a lumber yard. I worked on the weekends in the lumber yard to get – uh, through so so the kind of work ethic that was had years ago doesn't seem to be here uh, anymore. Um, people feel the the young feel like they're entitled to to things, and um, if you tell them, well, we're going to get you through college, but you're going to have to pay it back. That that really sits uh, doesn't sit well with them uh, at all. And if there's any way they can look to get this uh, student loan uh, off, they'll uh, they'll try to do it.
1: Uh, It is amazing. Free money. You know, where's my free Obama phone? And, oh, at one point, Obama's going to pay my mortgage. You know, (laughs) like I said, it's a disposable society. Uh, People don't interact face-to-face that much anymore. We have social networks. Uh, And then you have the debacle of the social networks. (laughs) I just found out. uh, I had Judge Jeanine Pirro on the show on Tuesday, and I put up an ad up on Facebook to promote the show. And I get back from Facebook that they're not going to put the ad out there. They denied it because it's political. This is a political yeah. show. What do you think is going to? Be? But meanwhile, Facebook uh, has lost billions upon billions because people are realizing yeah. it's another scam.
9: Yeah, yeah, they've got they've got problems that they uh, you know they they just grew so fast, um, and you know they're really in a, a whole new area that nobody ever been in before Um, I think their intention was good they were trying to make it easy for people to connect with each other and um, stay in touch with uh, uh, family and friends that may be thousands of miles away and I still use it uh, somewhat like that uh, too but then it became uh, very political and um, how they uh, uh, decide uh, their censorship on some things is somewhat of an issue too um, I have a, a page on Facebook uh, called Funding Democracy, the Economics of Freedom. Um, and when I uh, post some of my columns, and uh, occasionally I boost them, um, lately, um, since the problem with Facebook, every single one has been turned down because they they say they're political ads. So Facebook's going through yeah, some uh, issues that they're going to have to get through. Mm-hmm.
1: I noticed that anything I tried to post – as a boost, as you say, which is, you know, taking out an ad uh, since June. yeah, And that's when everything broke in June. And all of a sudden yeah. it's like, oh, no, you can't talk political. But that's the purpose of free speech in America. Without <laughs> free, free yeah. speech, there's not free exchange. And what drives capitalism? The best is free speech. Is it not?
9: Absolutely. 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 You know, you um, you asked me before uh, about whether uh, there were anything else that might be a, a problem to the economic growth into the future. Uh, I mentioned briefly that trade may be somewhat of an, an issue. Um, I get asked a lot about, um, do I support President Trump's pr- trade policy? People know I'm a free market economist. They know if you mention the word tariff or tax, my stomach starts to churn a little bit. Uh, so they say, look, you can't possibly – uh, be in support of um, what President Trump is doing um, with the uh, uh, trade policy. Um, I am, though, in complete support of what he's doing. Um, and the reason is uh, President Trump, w- would his goal is a free and fair trade. Uh, so what that means is uh, everybody's playing by the same rules. For whatever reason, the trade agreements we got, we've gotten into with the European Union, with NAFTA, with some other countries, for whatever re- reason, they're slanted in favor of our trading partner and uh, to the detriment of the U.S. For instance, with the uh, European Union, if they make a car in uh, France or Italy or Germany and they sell it here in the U.S., we charge them a 2.5% tariff. If we make a car here in the U.S. and sell it in Europe, charge us a 10% tariff. Well, the result of that is we buy a lot of their cars, which means our money is flowing out of the country when we pay for them. They buy very few of our cars, which means there's none of their money flowing into our country. We end up with this negative balance of trade. More of our money is flowing out than uh, money coming in. We have a negative balance of trade to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars Per year, It's the same thing with uh, NAFTA. Mexico and Canada get favorable treatment uh, versus the U.S., so we end up uh, having some uh, trade, trade problems with them, too. An analogy would be if the U.S. was playing Canada in a baseball game, the U.S. said, look, we're going to play by the rules. We're going to get three outs per inning, but you need a little help. We're going to give you four outs per inning. So we do that, and we notice after a couple of years, we're losing every baseball game. So what happened was Trump goes to the G7 meeting a few months ago and says to Trudeau, listen, we've got to level the playing field here. Things have to be even. In other words, you have to get three outs per inning just like we have. Trudeau initially agreed to that. Then he went back to his constituents, and they said, listen, you can't do that. The dairy farmer said the uh, um, Americans are so efficient at producing dairy products, they can make something and sell it for a dollar. It cost us three fifty-four dollars to make that. So um, the, tar- the current tariff on dairy products, which is two hundred and seventy percent, so something you would sell for a dollar has to pay a two dollar and seventy cent tariff to raise the price up to three seventy. So the Canadian dairy farmers said, "Oh, now we can com- compete." So they said to Trudeau, listen, don't agree with Trump to get rid of tariffs. We need these tariffs. So right after Trump left, he ended up changing his mind. He said, no, we're not going to I'm not going to do what I agreed to do with you uh, when we had our our talks. So because we have so many of these uh, imbalances forever, 20 or 30 years, hundreds of billions of dollars are flowing out of the country. So. President Trump takes a look at this and he says, look, we have to fix this. Now, he's not a politician. He's a business person. A politician would take a look at this and say, I'm sending my economics uh, people to meet your economics people. We'll do that sometime in the fall. They'll come back and uh, early next year, we'll discuss it with Congress. Then we'll send them back later in the year to discuss it again. Then we'll come back to Congress. And finally, We're just going to kick the can down the road to the next president. Trump is not a politician. He's a business person. A business person sees a problem and finds a solution as quickly as possible. And the reason is problems have negative impacts on your bottom line. And businesses are concerned with their bottom line. So when a business person sees a problem, you have to fix it right away. So we took a look at these trade agreements that are in favor of our trading partners and hurting us and said to the European union, to China, to uh, uh, Canada and Mexico, I said, look, we have to renegotiate all these things. And of course they were reluctant to do that. Why should we renegotiate? We've got a great deal here. We don't want to renegotiate. So what does a business person do when you have to negotiate with a reluctant partner? You create a sense of urgency to bring them to the table. So what does Trump do? He slaps on these huge tariffs, which are going to have crippling effects on our trading partners. It will have a little pain on Americans, at least for the short term. But the major pain will be felt by the European Union, the Chinese, and Canada and Mexico. So he puts on these huge tariffs. And what happens? Two weeks ago, the head of the European Union comes to the U.S. and they meets with Trump. They come out and say, you know— Europe and the U.S. are going to work to it for a trading policy where we have no tariffs on anything, which is what Trump is trying to do. So he brought them to the table by creating that sense of urgency. On Thursday, the president of Mexico says, you know, we're going to have to get this NAFTA thing resolved as soon as possible before it has some real negative effects. He's ready to come to the bargaining table. China may continue to talk tough, and they did more tough talking today. But it won't be more than a month or two before these these crippling tariffs cause China so much damage that they're going to have to come to the bargaining table and come up with something that's fair uh, for both sides, particularly the U.S. that's been slammed by these things. China puts huge tariffs on uh, cars that we make and sell there. They manipulate their currency uh, so their products end up being very cheap and ours become expensive. President uh, um, Mitch Romney, when he was running for uh, president in 2012, uh, said that um, one of the big problems I'm going to deal with if elected is deal with this Chinese manipulation, manipulating of their currency. Well, here it is six years later. Of course, Romney lost the uh, election. Mitt Romney lost um, Uh, So and six years later and nothing's been been done about it again Trump wants to solve the problem now instead of kicking the can down the road instead of being a politician and convening all these summits he wants to solve the problem quickly that's what business people do so when people say how could you favor Trump he's got all these tariffs I thought you were a free market economist the answer is I am these tariffs are just meant to bring people to the table quickly as quickly as possible the goal of president trump is to have no tariffs on anything i don't believe he'll ever get to that goal but if he shoots for it and gets pretty close to it and whatever he uh, comes up uh, with some tariffs if it ends up any tariffs at all at least things are done on a fair a fair basis uh, so in the short term the trade policy could Uh, create a few problems, and it is for certain industries. Trump's trying to minimize that as much as possible, but it will create some uh, problems in the short term for some industries. I have a feeling by the end of the year, um, everybody will be at the bargaining table, even either having resolved this or at least be in the process of resolving it. Usually, once they start talking as a sign of goodwill, he, he may, and I don't know if he will, but he may say, I'm going to relax some of these Uh, tariffs as long as discussions are are moving along. He may not do that because uh, when you take the pressure off somebody, uh, then there is no more pressure for them to um, be there quickly. And that, uh, you know, sometimes gives them less incentive to come up with a solution, but still by the end of the year, I will have agreements or we'll at least be in serious negotiations with our uh, trading partners which is why I continue to say I don't think this is going to – the trade policy will have a negative impact on growth. In fact, starting next year, once this all gets resolved, I think it will have more of a positive impact on economic growth.
1: You know, what's also ironic is uh, I believe it was back in 1964 when Congress allowed the president to impose tariffs. They gave that power of yeah. that was given to the Congress in the Constitution over to – the President at that time in 64 Now there is right. a bill uh, That's out on the floor I don't know if it's the committee still or, or coming Onto the floor, my congressman is one of the Sponsors of it, uh, to Return that power back to Congress, if that were, ha- were to happen That bargaining tool that Trump has at this point Will go the way of the dodo bird uh, yeah. So how do you foresee It happening in the future, will Congress Then just revert us back to You know, <laughs> countries? Imposing tariffs on our goods and no no ability to negotiate.
9: I certainly hope not. Um, th- this this is not the time for this to be done. As long as we still have a Republican Congress, um, I think I think President Trump can exert enough influence to even if he doesn't get everybody, if he just gets enough influence so that the bills won't be passed. Um, I think that that's good. He has to have the ability to put a tariff on and take it off. And keep in mind, he is a a, a, a business person and he would rather have no tariffs at all. He views this as only a short term strategy to bring reluctant trading partners to the negotiating table to come up with a solution that is indeed in the best interest of the u.s so i hope it doesn't happen that they take that power away from them
1: all right well i noticed some callers in the studio um if you press one then i know you want to ask a question or may have a comment uh otherwise i'll assume that you're just there listening uh so if anyone does want to call in also the number is 917-889-3675 um, Chat room is going nuts. Uh, we do have a couple of people from uh, Canada that are agreeing with you on that one. We have uh, <laughs> one or two people disagreeing, but hey, that's, okay. that's the purpose of discourse.
9: It, this is so, a democracy. Yeah. We have to welcome healthy debate.
1: <laughs> oh, man. There is so much that we do have to talk about because uh, a lot of people don't understand the economics and how it affects their uh, daily lives. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, things like this do affect job growth. And as a matter of fact, you've gone over just about everything that I put aside <laughs> for notes to talk to you about. <laughs> so, oh, man. Uh, but uh, we talked about the student debt, but we have a huge yeah. problem with these entitlement programs, uh, with the yeah, welfare. That's and the next At thing. one point, yeah. we had Massachusetts, Wisconsin, New York had welfare-to-work programs, but the left turns around and goes, you can't force people to work. It's a slavery. No, it's not.
9: Yeah, no. Um, and we're going to have to go back to uh, something something like that. It, it really is beneficial for the country, and it's beneficial for the person receiving the, the, the welfare. Because somebody gets something for nothing, regardless of what you might think. My experience has been when somebody gets something for nothing, it doesn't have any value to them. It doesn't mean anything. If somebody goes out and earns it themselves – now it has value to them and it, it means something. So you're not doing anybody any favors by just giving them a lot of free, free stuff. If they worked for it, they would feel much better about themselves and much better about taking it. You know, you mentioned um, the entitlement problem, where we have a huge problem uh, is social, social security. Um, the, the, when that program was set up in uh, 1935, uh, people retired at 65, and the life expectancy was 67. So people retired, and for a couple of years they were uh, taken care of by Social Security, and the program worked. Today, um, people—they've raised the retirement age to 66, and it'll go up to 67 shortly. But people are living to be 75, 85, 95, 100. You—you um, you can't wow. work from. Uh, uh, 40 or 45 years and then expect to collect social security for the next 40 years. Yeah. So we're going to have to deal with, uh, with that issue too.
7: Doctor. Well, you know, see,
1: um, I was going to, Curtis, let me just make this uh, observation because everyone keeps on saying social security is an entitlement. It's not. I paid into the system, my money for all those 40 years paid into the system that the government promised me that when you retire, that money will be there. And I've argued, and I agreed with Reagan when he said, let's privatize it. Let me take that amount of money and put it into an IRA, a savings account, stocks, bonds, I don't know, the Blue Lagoon. I, at the time I retired, would have had uh, at least a million (laughs) dollars in the bank. I would have been set for the rest of my life, and then I could turn around and will that to whomever I decide to give it to. That money would then be passed on. And the way the system has it now... You know, there are people that are taking more out of it than they put in. There are people that are taking out of it that put nothing in. And this right. is where the system is broken. Matter of fact, the first recipient of Social Security happened to be an elderly woman who paid not a penny into it. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, yeah. It, it is a highly broken system, and I believe it should be privatized. I should decide where to invest my money. If I make a bad investment, then shame on me. but Uh, Government is not there to be a safety net for my bad decisions.
9: And you may remember uh, President Bush made this suggestion, too, in uh, 2002, and uh, it got nowhere with it. You know, um, the the, uh, Social Security system is set up um, on the same theoretical basis as a Ponzi scheme. So with a a Ponzi scheme, um, somebody invests money, you end up spending it. When they want their returns, you end up using the next person who pays into it. You use their money uh, to pay the older people. Um, if it was like well, you put money in and your money was there, so when you turn 66 or 67, you just pull your money out, that would work. But that's not how it's done. Your money goes to pay somebody else's uh, Social Security. The theory is when you turn 66, Somebody else will pay into it, and that'll cover you. The assumption with that, and you could debate whether it's a good idea from the start anyway, but the assumption with that is we're going to have the same population mix. in other words, we if as long as you always have five, six people working and for everyone collecting, you can probably keep going. The problem is there are so many baby boomers living so much longer that we're now to the point there's only two or three workers for each person collecting and unless we uh, change something, it's going to get a little worse in the future. That's really a time bomb that's kind of ticking that uh, eventually, I think President Trump, because he doesn't kick the can down the road, eventually he's going to take a look at this problem. Unfortunately, there are no real good solutions. Um, I think the only one that makes um, a little bit of sense is they're going to have to raise the retirement age significantly, you know, at least to 70 and maybe even higher. I know that's not going to go over too, too well either, but uh, compared to what the other, the alternatives are, cutting the benefits, raising the tax, um, raising the retirement age is probably the least harmful um, of the solutions.
1: All right, Curtis, go ahead.
7: Yeah, I- run into a lot of people with a tax and spend mindset. Um, Can you explain why it is almost next to impossible to um, tax and spend yourself into prosperity?
9: Uh, Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, High taxes and high government spending do exactly the opposite. And for a couple of uh, reasons. One um, the way the free market system is, um, in order for business to make a profit, you basically have to give the consumers exactly the products that they want at exactly the price they're willing to, to pay. That's how you make a profit. Uh, so business is concerned only with what consumers' needs are. Government, on the other hand, they'll make the decision of what your needs are for you, and they'll determine what is best for, for you. It turns out to be extremely inefficient when that um, happens. They start giving you things that you really don't want or make you buy things you really don't want. Uh, That um, slows up any multiplying effect in the economy. Um, And then consumers have less money to spend on things that they want because government is taxing. It makes the whole economy less efficient. As a matter of fact, if you go the other way, Lowering the taxes and reducing government spending, which is what our country was founded on, you tend to get much more economic growth. You know, our country uh, went from a brand new country to uh, the most prosperous country in the world in about 150 years. Uh, now, that beats everybody. Some, most countries are hundreds of years old, some thousands of years old, and they couldn't achieve the success that the U.S. had. And it's because the U.S. had a system where we had a limited role of government, we encouraged freedom, and we allowed people to keep as much of what they earned as possible. And with that, the economy was able to grow. It slows down when you start, as we saw during the Obama administration, when you start raising taxes, uh, as they did uh, by, not, by not renewing all of the Bush tax cuts that were put in 2001. We renewed some of them, but not all of them, putting extra Medicare taxes, putting taxes on um, for um, Obamacare that went went into effect. Uh, So by putting on taxes and increasing government spending, having the government get involved in doing more things, that led, or at least contributed to, the poor economic growth during the um, Obama administration. Fortunately, President Trump knows that. And he's doing what he can to get uh, taxes down. Now we have a spending problem, but again, he wanted to get the economy growing first and he could do that by reducing the regulations and getting the tax rates down, which so far he's been able to do. He knows we have a deficit problem, but now that the economy is, is growing, he should be able to get government spending down and he's going to have a lot of fights with that one too. Because as soon as he starts cutting a program, The government, the Democrats are going to start saying, well, you know, you just did away with your grandmother's uh, safety net. You're pushing her over a cliff. Uh, You're taking food out of the mouth of people that can't afford it. Uh, You're taking healthcare away from uh, the most vulnerable. And they'll have all the campaigns like this where it'll be nearly impossible for the president to cut spending. Except President Trump is not a politician. So he won't do necessarily what a, the politically correct thing to do. He'll look at it objectively as a business person would say, look, we can't afford all these things. It's that simple. So we're just going to have to cut down on these spending in these uh, areas. We'll pick areas that have the least negative impact on anybody, but you can continue to tax a dollar and spend a dollar 20 as you've been doing for the last 50 years. It's just run up too much, Deficit and the annual deficits added up to public debt. We've got a twenty trillion dollar public debt. Um, we're going to have to work on um, if we can stop adding to it. That's the first step. Uh, maybe even we'll be able to uh, start reducing it. Um, but if you recall back in the in the uh, '90s when Bill Clinton uh, changed the capital gain tax, tax revenue went up. You had Newt Gingrich running Congress. And he said, look, here's the, America, the Republicans' pledge to America. We're going to cut spending. Uh, even Bill Clinton was on board with it. Uh, his exact words in his 1996, I believe, State of the Union speech, his exact words were, the era of big government is over. So Clinton and Congress worked together, and for four years, we had a surplus in the budget. We, tax revenue exceeded spending. We were able to pay down part of the debt. Now it's hard to imagine getting to that point because the deficits are so huge. But if anybody can do it, it's President Trump.
1: I'll use huge, huge amen to that, Doctor Michael <laughs> Michael Bustler, People can find you Town Hall Newsmax uh, and LiveZet. You have your your Facebook page. What is that again? Because I I, yeah, have, I, would, I saw it, it. I hooked up with you on it, and I just didn't put the yeah. link in.
9: <laughs> okay, it's Facebook.com forward slash. Funding democracy, funding democracy. If you just if you go to your own Facebook page and just put funding democracy, funding democracy in the search bar, it'll come up my column, my page. It's funding democracy, the economics of freedom, and you can see all my columns there. If you want to follow it, you just click the follow button, and every time I write one, you'll be able to see it. Well, I just
1: added it to our show page so that when people Listen in to the podcast later on, they can go to it and go directly to Great. you and send you a message. Thank you for all the hard Great. work you, you do. We'll have you definitely back on. It's so much fun to speak with you. Uh, well, and just thank
9: you. It was my keep pleasure. the Republic
1: going. Our I pleasure. do my best. Right.
9: <laughs> Take care. <laughs>
1: Take care. Dr. Michael Bustler. I am losing my voice, and I'm having a hard time. Curtis, thank you for uh, joining us. I hope everything worked out at home with you guys. Uh, My prayers are with you and your mom and your family there. Um, We will be back here on Monday. Uh, We've got a congressional candidate, Gerhard Gressman, who is challenging uh, James Clyburn here in South Carolina, District Six. And we also have returning Dr. Herb London. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, We've got a couple of authors coming in on next Friday. Uh, Great books. Uh, We'll be talking with them on that. We've got great guests coming up all the way through the 21st so far, and we're filling fast. I want to thank everyone that joined us. Please remember to go to revelationmovies.com. The link is on the show page. Click on it. Sign up to be notified when the movie is going to be shown for free online. It's an excellent movie, and get as many people as you can to sign up to do the same. So, Curtis, you and I leave everyone for the weekend. I want to say good night and God bless, and see you next week, same time, same station. I'll leave you with our closing song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. Until then.